Let me tell you today about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, or you can record it on another device or platform and transfer it to Anchor. It will distribute your podcast for you through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast right in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. But I didn't hit on my first two draft picks. I hit on the later ones. And now my record is zero and five. I'd rather fight a hundred duck-sized <laughs> horses or one horse-sized duck. <laughs> Welcome in, players, to the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Show, the show that will ruin your perfect game. I'm your home plate umpire calling balls and strikes, your host, D. Mendy, here with guys calling bang-bang plays at first base, Eric Mendelson. What's up, E? I am Jim Joyce. I will ruin your perfect game, Armando Galarraga. Right, and we got our guy calling trap balls in the outfield at second base, Art Tornabeni, a.k.a. Little Cheesecake DLC. How we doing? I'm doing good. You know what? I think being an umpire would have been a really cool career. Sometimes I think I wish I'd have gone to umpire in school when I was 21. Wouldn't it be Wouldn't it be pretty awesome to be an umpire for your career? No, you don't. I went for a day, and it's brutal. Is it really? I mean, would you want to deal with angry parents or angry fans? That's the part that I'm not. I can't imagine doing. Umpires make the Hall of Fame, though. That's true. I mean, there's a lot of parents that will want to fight you in the little <laughs> league games or high school games. Yeah, I, I actually, for the reason like I know how hard their job is, I usually don't give them too much like problems when I watch the games and I see them like call a ball that's a little bit in the strike zone. I'm like, you're seeing it with the strike box on TV. They're watching it live. Like I, I actually never ever like get mad at them when I see that. Do you guys feel the same? Uh, besides Angel Hernandez, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm definitely not jealous of being an umpire, but we're not talking about umpiring today. We're talking about Prospect Face-Off Part 2. Prospects that are joining the big league clubs this year have not been announced, but we are picking six guys with the potential to provide high impact in this shortened season if they are indeed put on the Major League roster. We are going to be doing this with our special guest this week, Shelly Verstraight of Dynasty's Child, who's waiting in the hole. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Then we go to the bullpen for our question of the week. Outside of Cal Ripken's consecutive games record, what is the most untouchable MLB record in history? And our mystery game coming in to shut the door. But first up to bat is our news and notes. news and notes unless you've been living under a rock you know major league baseball is back and yes even negative nancy eric has to admit that we came on with a live reaction show last week but we did not have all the details at that time so here's basically what's happening in a 60 second or less spiel to you guys 60 game regular season begins july 23rd and 24th with spring training beginning july 1st players will undergo covid19 testing upon arrival and they can continue participating if they test negative. 
However, if you test positive, you will require two negative tests in a row before you can return. The schedule is going to include 10 games against each of the four teams in your division, and then 20 games in the opposite league's corresponding geographical location, i.e. the AL East and the NL East. There's going to be a DH in both leagues, and teams will open the season with a 30-man active roster, which is going to go down, go down to 28 games after two weeks, and then 26 games or 26 players after four weeks. The trade deadline is going to be August 31st. Teams will be permitted to have three taxi squad players on the road during the season, and one must be a catcher. During extra inning games this season, each half inning will begin with a runner on second base, where the batter who made the final out in the previous inning or the pinch runner for that batter would be the runner. There's going to be a 10-day a 10-day IL for both hitters and pitchers, and the 60-day IL is now a 45-day IL, and there's going to be a separate IL for players testing with positive for COVID, which there is no maximum or minimum time. Um, and then the last little bit is that uh, since there's going to be testing every day, there's going to be things eliminated like high fives, fist bumps, hugs. If you're not pitching that day, they might have you sitting in the actual outfield or in this in this the uh, in the stands because they're going to try to limit as much contact as possible. Um, so it's a lot of crazy stuff, pretty much. And so I want to get your thoughts on this first, Eric. When hearing kind of this rundown of everything, do you think it's going to just affect the overall product that's on uh, TV? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is unprecedented times. We don't have anything to compare this to in terms of the number of games and understanding the virus itself. I'm really glad to hear that baseball is back. And I think it's inevitable that multiple players are going to test positive. But, you know, I, I think MLB is in the time that they've had negotiating, you know, for the past couple months, They've had time to hammer out details and hearing things like they're going to eliminate contact with high fives and fist bumps. And if you're not pitching, you might sit in the outfield that day. You know, all these little steps are going to hopefully, um, you know, minimize the spread of COVID for the 60 game season. Art, right, what do you think of all the rules that I just listed? I think the, the the first thought that came to my mind is what if the catcher makes the last out and he's the one who's on second base? And then the other team has a has an outfielder or like their leadoff hitter makes the last out and he's the one on second base. I thought there could be hidden advantages based on who makes the last out of the previous inning as far as who's on second base for you to start the next inning for extra inning games. That's just a weird thought that pops into my weird brain when you when you started talking about that. But I. I I find that uh, the you know there there are adequate rules. There's not much you can not much you can do to improve on those. Obviously, players are going to get uh, popped with coronavirus, and they're going to have to be gone for a couple weeks, maybe maybe longer. And it's going to make the fantasy season really interesting. There's going to be a lot of frustration among fantasy owners. The first time a big star gets gets knocked out with coronavirus um but i think it's gonna make this is the wild well west of a fantasy season it's gonna make the people who are really active and uh really you know it's gonna be a lucky season if you if you if you're lucky you're gonna have your players not get popped for covid if you're lucky you're gonna get the replacement for the player that got popped for COVID uh, that starts producing. It, it, it's gonna be a really fun and uh, obviously a one of a kind fantasy baseball season, and I'm real, real pumped for it. Or you alluded to 
star players getting COVID. That leads us to our next bit of news. The the Blue Jays and Phillies had a lot of players get exposed and have COVID in their spring training camps. And then recently, Charlie Blackman was the first big name that came out that had got diagnosed with COVID. As we've talked about every week during this whole process, we're in uncharted territory. So, I mean, we talked about Eric, and, and I want to give you credit because I heard you bring this point up more uh, way like earlier on than I heard on a lot of other podcasts that might someone like Mike Trout, who has a child that's expected in August, you know, is he going to be out for two weeks? And if that's the case, that's like a quarter of the season pretty much, you know? So like um, certain guys like that, it, it, it affects people, whether you have it or not, it's going to affect teams and players. So um, who's to say someone's wife or, you know, someone's child gets it that they're not flying home, you know? So, um, I think we're taking it day by day at this point. Our last bit of news we do have for this week is Alex Anthropoulos. I think I said his name right. The president for the Atlanta Braves came out and said that they want to limit their starter workload early on in the season when they have 30 players on their roster and they're going to use their bullpen of 10 plus relievers. This is going to kind of be an extended spring training in a sense. And according to Alex directly, he said, we feel like we have so much depth and they're expanded rosters at the beginning. Do we limit our starters early on just to be overcautious or do we make sure they hold up? We want to make sure they all last and we don't run into any injuries. So he pretty much came out and said, um, and I'm taking this kind of out of the quote, he said that he's going to basically have his starters go two, three or four innings, at least the beginning of the season. And again, in a shortened season, any time, any kind of time where you're limiting your starters to get wins to get strikeouts, to improve their ratios. You're going to be hurting guys that draft Atlanta Braves starters. But the part that scared me is I heard that this is the approach that a lot of uh, managers and GMs have agreed upon to take around the league. That's how they're going to manage their starters. So, Eric, I'm going to start with you. Does this concern you at all if you haven't drafted yet about taking starting pitching? Yeah, and I want to give Art credit because I think he said that this year it's more likely a pitcher win or a relief pitcher wins a Cy Young than in years past. I think it does concern you a little bit because especially with a shortened spring training, pitchers need time to build up their arms. They're not going to be firing six, seven plus innings right off the bat. I think logically you do have to start off throwing shorter amount of time. And in a, in a shorter season, as I've said before, every game matters. And if you're spending a high pick on somebody with a big name, but isn't going to give you their normal production or their normal longevity, throughout the season, that high upside of points they can get you, and especially in a points league, um, I think is a huge disadvantage for pitchers. Art, what about you? I think that there are certain pitchers, guys who are veteran arms, guys who know their bodies, can warm up, you know, ramp up quickly, and don't, you know, younger pitchers, this is going to affect a lot more. <clears throat> guys who are veterans, I don't think this is going to affect as much, because they know their arms. They know how to get ready, and they can. And they don't need as much time to get season ready. But uh, as far as as far as uh, you know, relief pitchers winning the uh, winning the sigh, As far as uh, as a follower leading the league in wins, you know, if I could do a Chris Berman uh, uh, impersonation, I would be the Swami right now. Because you know, right now, uh, that's what I was trying to say. Uh, this is what's going to happen. That was my Chris Berman. <laughs> um, because, you know, this is this is how every team is, and it's the smart way to do it. But 
for your fantasy teams, if you plan for it, you could take advantage of this little glitch in the game. It's like a cheat code. Now, all you people out there listening to Triple Play, remember to tweet at me and say, Art, you're the swami. Oh, that's going to really see how big our audience is. They're going <laughs> to... Hopefully you get it. Hopefully your Twitter breaks because there's so many responses to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to get to our guest, Shelly Verstray, who's waiting in the hole to talk about our main topic today, Prospect Faceoff Part 2. We hope you guys enjoy that. We got into six great prospects that we're going to uh, hopefully talk about and, and help you win your leagues, and these guys can contribute this year. Um, Art, anything you want to say before we get to prospect face-off no not not at this time man a few words i like it eric anything you want to say before we get out uh just a reminder that many players in the mlb had filed complaints to rob manfred over the years about the astros cheating and that nothing was done until mike fires was a whistleblower uh just your weekly reminder to hashtag fireman eric's very repetitive so you <laughs> Always looking for something new, but it's it's very very continuously the same thing. I'm a very passionate person. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, last thing before we get to uh, Shelly. Guys, if you're enjoying our content, please make sure that you guys leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and a uh, rating. We really appreciate it. It's how we're, we know that you guys are enjoying the content and we can keep growing. Every single rating we do receive, we shout out on the following show. So we really appreciate people taking the time to do that. Please make sure you follow us on Twitter at Trip Play Fantasy. We are now at 650 followers, only been around four months, so we're growing at a really nice pace. We appreciate all the feedback and all the interaction that you guys give us on Twitter. And if you enjoy football, we also have a football show, the Triple Play Fantasy Football Show. We record every Monday, and episodes are out every single Thursday. So if you want to hear us talk a little bit of football, unfortunately, if you listen for Art, he's not on that podcast. Uh, but if you like Eric and myself, we are there. So if you enjoy at least Eric and myself, we have our great third uh, host on there, John Van Etten. Um, we do miss Art on that one. But again, John is a, is a great guy, and John provides great analysis and content. So if you enjoy our content, please check that show out. I'm done plugging. Please enjoy our time with Shelly as we talk prospect face-off. Yeah, talk about repetitive. Are you ready for some football? We welcome in our guest for this week. She's a writer for Rotographs, Pitcher List, Over the Monster, Prospects 365, and Dynasty Guru. That was a mouthful. She also <laughs> does podcasts uh, for Dynasty's Child and Over the Monster, an avid baseball lover and a dog mom. She turns on a lot of Sox games with the clicker. While eating her clam chowder, we welcome in <laughs> Shelly Verstrain. Shelly, how are you? <laughs> I'm fine. How are you guys doing tonight? Really good, really good. We're really happy you're joining us on the show today. Yeah, like I'm, I, I'm so excited. Like I get to talk about baseball, and baseball is actually happening in a couple of a couple of weeks, couple of uh, in a, in a month. Like I, I'm so excited. So. I, understand, I know you're a big Boston Red Sox fan, correct? I am. I'm a huge Sox fan. So, are you? Do you live in Boston, or are you? Are you just in the New England area? I um, I'm just a Sox fan. I'm actually, I actually live in Virginia. 
Oh, wow, that whole accent was for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it really was. Like, it totally, it killed my family when I told them, yeah, I'm not a Braves fan anymore. Um, I'm a Red Sox fan. So, yeah. So how did you feel about the Mookie Betts trade? Oh boy, it it I I I get it from a uh, a non fan standpoint. Like from I mean, because we weren't gonna re-sign him. I totally get it. We replenish the system. I get it. But from a fan, it absolutely killed me to see Mookie Betts in Dodger blue. Well, you can take solace in the fact that he might only play 60 games for them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, I, I, I just remember, like, in spring training, just, like, just watching some games and just seeing him in a totally different uniform. It absolutely, it absolutely killed me. It was, it was, it was awful. And it's weird because you don't see players of that superstar caliber usually getting traded. Usually they'll sign with a team during free agency or stay with a one team for the entirety of their career. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it was it was just jarring to see him in blue because, I mean, I've only seen him in red or, or white. And just, yeah, it was it was really, really tough for me. Well, the good thing is you guys got a good haul, which is going to kind of tie into what we're doing today, because we're doing Prospect Faceoff Part 2. So, here we go. We are about to enter a world where the real and the unreal stand side by side. A baseball season with 60 games. 40 means you're hitting the bomb. Hitting 400 is possible. Wins for pitchers will be scarce. Middle relievers all of a sudden relevant and again. Prospects will be making the jump from the majors from as low as single A. In this show, we discuss the rise of these prospects in Prospects Face Off Part 2, coming to a theater near you July 23rd. Well done. (laughs) Well done, indeed. Uh, uh, Maybe voice acting is in my future. But uh, so we did part one uh, with the Wellstrom in this league. And if you missed that episode, please pause this podcast and go listen. But Uh, How this works is we pick six prospects, specifically prospects that even though it has not been announced yet, who are joining the big league clubs, uh, that should hopefully be announced soon. But we are picking six guys from basically with the potential to provide high impact in the shortened season if they indeed get do get added to major league rosters. And Shelly, I know this is your jam. So we're us three are going to be competing against you so you can educate us a little bit on these high end prospects. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so. uh we have six prospects that we all picked, and I basically want everybody to go at one another and squash each other's like the bugs they are. All right. All right. So, so don't hold back. All right. <laughs> everybody good? Mm-hmm. Totally. All right. Here we go. All right. We have our first battle. Our first battle is going to be between Eric and Shelly. Why am I level one? Am I the easiest boss to well, get no, no, through? No, no, no. I haven't even gotten this. Is, this is your intro music. This is your intro music. And just to be, just so you're clear, you're the ratata that Shelly's facing right now. She's the trainer. You're the ratata. <laughs> I can't even be a caterpie. No, no, you're a ratata. I have and no idea what you guys are talking about. You need to go back and watch Pokemon. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. So, so. 
I'm going to have – now, I, I, I kind of wavered on this because, Shelly, I know you're a huge Mackenzie Gore person. Like, you love Mackenzie Gore. Mm-hmm. And I told Eric that, and Eric was like, okay, so I'm basically going to be assigned Mitch Keller then, which is our other one. And then I was like, you know what? I don't want him to have that much prep, so I'm going to throw another curveball. I'm going to give you Mackenzie Gore, and I want you to squash him. So let's start. Shelly, give us everything we need to know about Mackenzie Gore for this upcoming season and convince us why he's the prospect that we should make sure we draft in our fantasy leagues. Uh, yeah, um, basically because Mackenzie Gore is uh, just a better pitcher than Mitch Keller. I mean, that just plain and simple. Uh, I mean, Mackenzie Gore, I mean, I, I do think that the Padres are going to be very aggressive. Um, and we, we saw it with, with Chris Paddock last year. I mean, they're going to, they're going to, um, with the extended rosters uh, to start the season, Mackenzie Gore is definitely going to be on the Padres um, upcoming uh, pitching rotation. And just Mackenzie Gore is just totally better than uh, Mitch Keller. Like he's, like his K per nine uh, last year was uh, double digits, and Mitch Keller just Mitch Keller is good, but just not McKenzie Gore level. And then also you also have to think about the uh, teams that Keller is going to be having to face. He's going to have to be facing like the Central, um, which I mean you do have you know your cupcake schedule with like uh, the 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 uh, the Tigers and the um, the Royals, but I mean Mackenzie Gore has you know the, the the Giants to to feast on. They have the Rockies to feast on, and and to be honest, I'm just Mackenzie Gore is just better. I'm sorry, I I I, I love you, Keller, but <laughs> Gore is better. Wow, you played it right into the one of my arguments. Mackenzie Gore has to face Mookie Betts, Dodgers. Play in Colorado against a good Rockies hitting offense, Astros, the Athletics, the new the newly ramped uh, Angels. I actually think Mitch Keller has an easier pitching schedule. That's fair. Uh, I, I I I get that. Um, but I mean, I, I I if I was a pitcher, I'm I'm not outside of Mike Trout. Um. And maybe Shohei Otani. I'm not scared of the Angels. Um, I'm definitely not scared of the Mariners. Um, the Astros, yeah, yeah, they're 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 kind of scary. Uh, but I, I I'm totally taking uh, Mackenzie Gore here. It, it it will be a little bit interesting to see what he does. But I mean. Give me McKenzie Gore all day. Like he has, he has the prospect pedigree, and he had, you know, Mitch Kelly. Yeah, give me McKenzie Gore. If not, I'm not mistaken. McKenzie Gore has a really high leg kick and, and some deception into his delivery, and uh, he still and he tops out in the high 90s. Isn't that right? Oh uh, yeah, it, it's more of like the mid 90s. Like McKenzie Gore. Like if you watch him, like if you pull up like some clips on him on youtube or whatever like his his delivery is uh maybe clayton kershaw craziness like it's very Mm. hitchy it's very hitchy but it's but that hitchy is very deceptive and i mean he is just like blown through the minors because of his deception because of just his talent 
And I just, I just believe that that is just going to play. It's just going to just really play well in the majors. How looking at, at that Padres rotation, I mean, you have Chris Paddock, you'll have Mackenzie Gore, and I think it's Luis Padermo, the other guy that they have in their minor leagues that's supposed to be a, an amazing starter. You have those three guys heading your rotation for the next 10 years. That's insane. Uh, yeah, I mean, and you have uh, uh, Patino, who might also be coming up. Um, uh, Denelson Lamette, like he's kind of right. interesting yeah, too. That's, that's a good rotation. It, exactly. Like, I mean, it, the 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 Padres really do have like some really interesting uh, pieces down in the farm, and Adrian Morihone. Um, he's also probably a good number four, number five kind of guy. Like the Padres really have like some really interesting guys. Eric, so tell us a little bit more about Mitch Keller from your side. What, why should everybody be targeting Mitch Keller? Because he's a lot of people's darlings this year. All right. Well, to start out, did you guys ever hear the the song? Probably learned it when you were in elementary school. Get out the way, old Dan Tucker. I have no idea what you're talking about. Get out the way, old Dan Tucker. You're too late to get your supper. Well, Mitch Keller fits right in with there. Mitch, Dan, one syllable, Keller, Tucker. So Where's the exit out of this pod button? So, so Jim, <laughs> just play off the nostalgia. Just think of old Mitch Keller. It's a, it's a good, good start right there. He's already played in the majors, so I like that he got his nerves out early. I know he didn't have a great year last year. But the Pirates also hired Oscar Marin as their pitching coach. He was previously the pitching coordinator for the Mariners. And they got rid of Ray Searidge, who David made a comment on our Mad Caps one about how he's very <laughs> old school. Um, but Oscar Marin is very analytically driven. And he's the type of uh, pitching coach that young players should want. In AAA last year, Mitch Keller had a 3.56 ERA with a 1.24 whip. 123 to 35 walk or strike to walk out and he only allowed nine home runs and 103.2 innings pitched so very <laughs> is, it, is it strike to walk out or is it walks to strikeouts oh uh, strikeout to walk ratio go ahead sorry my pen wrote <laughs> running out of ink um, <laughs> last year the pirates had an awful d they were 24th in defensive runs saved and you look at his pitch mix he throws a 96, 97 mile per hour fastball that has a little bit of rising action, a la Craig Kimbrell. Uh, he he throws a changeup about 89 or 90, but it looks like his fastball coming out. He has a slider which is in the 86 to 88 range that has some great late break movement on it, and he throws a curve. Um, it's a great two strike pitch. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend if he threw it earlier in the count, but it's a good way to get people chasing. And if you look at his highlights, he has filthy stuff. And for me, that's important for a prospect at a young age, because you can always get better at locating and command and, uh, you know, pounding the plate rather than nibbling around the zone. It's one of the reasons I really like Jose Barrios, because he has a lot of movement on his pitches. And in terms of schedule, he plays the Tigers, Royals, Reds, and White Sox, all who were in the bottom third and runs scored last year. So pretty favorable schedule for the most of the year. Uh, what about? Can you talk about his spin rate? Did not look up spin rate for old Mitch Keller. Uh, well, I can I can tell you that he had one of the highest spin rates last year, and that's why one of the reasons people love him is because pitchers that have high spin rate usually coordinates to high strikeouts, and with high strikeouts, 
once he's learning how to pitch kind of like the Rays did with Tyler Glass now once he came to Tampa, once they kind of help him know how to attack hitters better, that's going to translate well for more strikeouts and a lower ERA. So, so well, thanks, I- for, thanks for helping this Rattata out, David. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, well, great arguments for both guys. Both guys, I think, are being drafted, um, some higher than others. Let's move to our next battle. Shelly's moving up to the next person, and this is uh, the first gym leader she's going to face. So what's a, what's a gym leader? <laughs> this is going to be a, a crash. <laughs> oh, you really list. didn't watch Pokemon. Shelly, are you familiar with Pokemon? Pokemon came out. I, 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 I am like, I, I, maybe I'm a little bit older, but I, I remember like the, the red, uh, Game Boy stuff, the blue Game Boy stuff. Yep. Yep. I totally get it. Yeah. So we, um, it's, it's funny because, uh, basically like for art for your sake. So Eric's just a random Pokemon that she's fighting in the wild, like just like, uh, kill it in one move. You're the first person now she's like, she's battling head on. That's actually going to be a tough match. There it is. <laughs> I like I like the way you've laid that out. So leveling up here, we've got two middle infield prospects here that both got major league action: Gavin Lux and Carter Keyboom. Art, I'm going to start with you representing Carter Keyboom. Hmm. So go ahead and give us what we should know about drafting Carter Keyboom for the 2020 season. Uh, Carter Keyboom was is ranked currently right now in the MLB Pipeline rank on base, Baseball Savant as the number 21 prospect. Now, Carter Keyboom last last year came up and did not impress in his short stint in the major leagues. But as is typical for good old Carter, he comes up and he uh, and he does he takes a little while to adjust and then he takes off. Now, if you look at Carter Keyboom's minor league statistics, Carter Keyboom has exactly the type of profile that I like to have on my on my major league teams. He 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 walks at about 12 to 13 percent rate. He has a high batting average, and uh, and he and he ha- has good extra base hits. He he averages about uh, 60 per 600 plate appearances in his minor league career as far as extra base hits. And he really took off actually when he got to to AAA. He had had a a a, a some, you can't even call it a down year when he was in Double A in 2018. But when he got to AAA in 2019, let me give you his triple slash. 2019, he had a 303, 409, 493 with an almost 14% walk rate. Uh, this is a guy who came up, took a little bit of lumps his first his first stint at the major leagues, and now he's going to be ready to take off. Now, I, now I have a little bit of little bit of, uh, uh, of insight into why I think he might have been not taking off last year. Carter Keyboom uh, swung at only 55 of 126 pitches in that were actually ended up over the plate or over the outside corner of the plate. That is uh, well below league average. 75 swings out of 126 would have been league average. So he's he's coming up. He's being too fine, I think. He didn't chase at all. He didn't chase anything last year, which is good. You like that, but he's also not being aggressive, and I think that comes with time. That'll that'll come with uh, that'll come with the experience. Um, the other thing I'm going to say, 
as far as versus Gavin Lux. Now, Carter Kimum was being groomed to be the third baseman, and his defense wasn't really adding up, and it looked like they were going to end up sending him down for more defensive seasoning. There's a lot of infield options in, in Washington. Now, if Trey Turner gets injured, as he does every year, who's going to be the shortstop? I think it's Carter Kibum. Now, he has, he has a shortstop pedigree. Uh, he was, his transition to third base wasn't great, but if, if shortstop opens up, I think there's everyday playing time for Carter Kibum, and I think he's primed to take off because he got that, that, that grow, growing pains out of the way. And, and you know, I, I got this from, from, uh, from an old uh, Nationals prospect named Shelley Verstraight who said he always <laughs> starts off slow at, 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 at new levels, and then he takes off. And I think that's what, exactly what you're going to see in the major leagues this year from Carter Kibum. Using your opponent's words against them. I love I it. I know. I know. <laughs> Shelly, go ahead and give us your rebuttal for Gavin Lux. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is really, a, really, really hard for me to, to just totally poo-poo, like totally throw poo-poo emojis <laughs> on Carter Keyboom here. Um, and I, I believe me, I love all of your arguments here. Um. But for this season, I do think that Gavin Lux is the better bet than Carter Keyboom. I mean, they're both, uh, I mean, I'm looking at roster resource. They're both projected to hit ninth in the order. But the Dodgers lineup is just so much better than the Nationals lineup. I mean, if we look at the Dodgers lineup, I mean, they have Betts, Muncie, Turner, Bellinger. Jock Peterson, Pollock, Seeger, Will Wilson, and then Gavin Lux. It's I mean, if you could, lineup. I I know it's like an all-star lineup right there. I mean, you could probably even flip Lux and Smith at this point, and that that lineup is absolutely like all-star caliber. And again, while I love Keyboom a lot, like Lux just brings. Keyboom's um, hitting production, and then if you just put that with the Dodgers lineup, it's just it's just so much better. Um, and I just for this year, I do like Gavin Lux over Carter Keyboom. Like I it just it it pains me to say this because I do love Carter Keyboom. I, I I do love him so much, but Lux for this year so much better. So you think Lux will be lucky and Kiboom will boom and blow up <laughs> in the bad way? Yeah, yeah. As much as it pains me to say, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I get it. I mean, the, all, all six of the prospects that are in this, I, I think all have very realistic chances to contribute and be successful. But it's it's kind of like at this point with a 60 game season, which ones you think are going to a get the playing time? B again, maybe not need a, to have overcome a rough start or can kind of get right in the groove of things. And and Shelley to kind of go with your argument. I mean, Lux played a decent amount for the Dodgers at the end of last year and was actually like doing. You know, he started out a little shaky, but as the season progressed, he was starting to do better. And Keyboom didn't really ever do much when he was within the majors last year. So. Lux might have a little bit of that more experience on his side to help him out be a better fantasy option for this year. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, like the Nationals have a, like a lot of uh, veteran depth on their bench. Um, that it, it's 
as soon as Kibun kind of like falters a little bit, I could see where they would just try to uh, maybe put him more on the bench and put more of the veterans on there versus the Dodgers. They have just a more fluid rotation when it comes to hitting that Gavin Lux would probably give you more protection. That was one of the reasons why I thought that Trey Turner had to get injured for Kibum to really get every day at bats because yeah. they have they have Thames, Zimmerman, Asdrubal Cabrera, and uh, Howie Kendrick. Kendrick. Yeah, and Howie Kendrick, who need at bats, and I don't know where Kibum fits in in there. But I do think that if none of those guys are shortstops, so that that was yeah. my that was my thinking. Or do you think yeah. there's any chance that? As Drupal Cabrera gets shifted to third base and they would have Kibum at second? I think they want Starlin Castro to be second base this oh, year. Oh, good point. I think, good that, point. I think they have him lined up. At least that's what they were saying in spring training, that Castro's second base. And they were trying to have Kibum be third, but his defense, he was still growing, has some growing pains at third base. Yeah, I mean that—that's the thing with Kibun. Where I, I mean, I love his bat, but it's the defense part that that really hurts him. And with the the great depth and of their of the Nationals bench, really really hurts Kibun versus Gavin Lux. Like he pretty much has everyday playing time at second base. Well, I think that's again good argument for both sides, but again. Shelly just beat the gym leader, so now she's going on to the Elite Four. Wait, last... no, David, David, I found your character. You're Gary. You're the guy nobody <laughs> likes. <laughs> let, me put, let me put my uh, Elite Four music on. Oh, the worst music out of all of them. All right, so Shelly's leveled up. She beat her Ratata. She beat the first gym leader, and now she's in the Elite Four. Dylan Carlson versus Nick Madrigal. And just so I have a fair disadvantage, Art, you can pick which one of us will represent each. Uh, who's going first? We'll let ladies first, so you can let Shelly go first. Um, Shelly gets Dylan Carlson, and you get Nick Madrigal. David. All right. Well, you just totally made it easy for me because I really do not like Nick Madrigal. Like, I... <laughs> I mean, Dylan Carlson is like just just so much better. Like the Cardinals, um, they're they they just really do need a good absolute hitter in their lineup, and Dylan Carlson is their guy. Like I mean, last year and between Double A and Triple A, like Double A, he hit two eighty one, three sixty four, five eighteen, and then in Triple A. He hit 361, 418, 681. Like there was, and then in this in the spring, he was absolutely killing it before uh, before COVID just like totally shut things down. Like there is no way that Dylan Carson is not going to be on this in the Cardinals lineup. And now that they have um, just the, the DH opportunity. I mean, Dylan Carlson is just going to give you, like, plenty of average, um, plenty of power, and maybe some stolen bases. Like, I don't understand. There is just no way that Dylan Carlson can be Nick Madrigal, who is 
if he even makes the the White Sox um, starting lineup, he's going to be hitting down the lineup. Is he going to run? He'll probably he'll probably give you average, and that's about it. Like I I'm just really not a Nick Madrigal fan. Okay, well, let me start my argument with saying you're talking about Nick Magical. We're not going to say magic. He's Nick Magical. And I say that because, first of all, guess how many strikeouts he's had in his career? And this is over 163 minor league games. So pretty much one full season, he had 21 strikeouts over the course of his entire minor league career. And he's never had more than six strikeouts in any season, which is, to me, like insane, especially if you're in a points league. I mean... To have someone that you know is probably going to strike out less than 20 times in a season, uh, that's going to li- uh, basically limit the amount of negative outings he's giving you. He has a career 309 batting average in the minors, and last year, it is over his last 71 games, he hit 336. So I think if, if he takes his career minor league batting average and you give that somewhat to the major leagues, he could have the potential to hit a top of the White Sox lineup eventually at some point during the season. And with that loaded lineup that they now have, I mean, they, they have um, Yosemite Grandal now. They have Jose, uh, Jose Abreu. Um, they have, obviously, Luis Robert. And, um, and uh, I can't think of the uh, their uh, Leo Jimenez. I mean, they have a lot of good bats in that lineup, Tim Anderson. So, I mean, there's the opportunity for him to accumulate a lot of runs. And he had 43 steals over his minor league career, so he can steal. So I just think you you take his low strikeouts, his ability to steal some bases. He's going to score a lot of runs, especially if they eventually do move him to the top of the lineup. He's going to see a lot of pitches, which is what they're going to, I think, like and want him up there. Um, and he's pretty much free. His ADP, according to Fantasy Pros, is, is over 250. So in 12-team leagues, he's pretty much, if you want him with your last pick, you can just grab him. So I, I think um, he has that potential to uh, to really make an impact, especially in points leagues. Yeah, that 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 is that is totally fair. Um, but then again, I, I will put this out there that I do think that he's probably gonna hit lower in the lineup um, when he does make his debut, um, just because like that White Sox lineup, like it really is stacked at the top. And then when it comes to the stolen bases part, like his stolen base percentage is actually pretty low. Um, mm going from like high a to triple a which the the catchers do get better as it goes on and he started to get caught a lot more as the season went Mm, on you did catch that (laughs) yeah so i'm just i i i i do like the appeal of nick magical from a stolen base standpoint, but I, I'm just scared that he's just going to be at the bottom of the lineup and maybe we won't see him run. And then he started to get ca- caught more and there's no power in that bat. He just scares me too much. That's all very valid. I actually do have some of the negatives I had in case I was going against him. And you uh, you named a, a couple of them I had. The one thing, I guess, Carlson is a very good prospect the one, the things I have that I'm potentially a little bit scared of is like they say that Mike Sh- uh, Schultz, who's the uh, the manager for them, he's a very loyal type of guy, and you know that he's going to put Dexter Fowl out out there. You know they say he loves Harrison Bader's defense, um, and they want to give Tyler O'Neill more chances to develop. 
And then you also have Matt Carpenter, who they're probably going to put at DH, put Tommy Edmond at third, and Colton Wong at second. It has me a little bit scared that he might have to fight for some at-bats, and that if he somewhat struggles at any point outside the gate, that they have all these other guys that can just step in, and that would limit his chance to get consistent at-bats. And the other thing I was reading is he was a fringy uh, prospect before 2019, and they say he's an inefficient base runner pretty much for most of his career, and they think that his foot speed is just going to keep gradually declining to where he's not even going to steal any bases. So it, um, basically, he's going to not be able to rely on his speed as much as they said sometimes he did uh, earlier in his minor league career. And um, basically, they, they, they don't project from what I'm reading that his ceiling is going to be abnormally high. Maybe like his best, maybe a 2020 is is kind of his ceiling, um, but nothing flashier or uh, anything that shows that he's going to be an, a superstar type player. And I, I think Nick Madrigal, I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star, but I think he could maybe give you a little bit more consistency um, over the course of the season, just based off his minor league record. I think when you started off calling him Nick Magical, you lost already. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah. Shelly beat the big bad David. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Magical is about to take me on a magic ride to victory. <laughs> no, that was good. I, again, you got uh, Eric Art, and then obviously, Shell, you had to go against all three battles. Everybody did a good job defending their players. And again, the important part is bringing up the important parts for the uh, fantasy players that are going to be drafting and, and to know the goods and bads or the, the positives and negatives of these players because it's going to matter. Obviously, in a 60-game season, you want guys that can help you. So... Hopefully, between the four of us, uh, we all can kind of broke down enough of the fantasy advice for you guys to understand who you should draft. Um, before we move on to the next segment, is there any thoughts? I know we, we represented certain players, but is there one of those six guys you feel really strongly about? Eric, I'll start with you. Uh, I actually really liked Mackenzie Gore, and I, I was totally prepared to defend him at first. I looked at his stats, and as a junior in high school, he went 12-1 and with a .08 ERA. That's ridiculous. That is the most dominant I've seen at any level. How did he um, get a loss? That's the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It must have been an unearned run or something. Um, I, I think you made a good point that, you know, all of these uh, prospects have potential. And in a shortened season, nobody really knows what we're dealing with. You know, players can get hot right away and they could be a late round flyer that helps make an impact. And especially with a short season, every game and every week is going to be important. So, um, you know, I, I, great breakdown by everyone except David. Um, I want to actually bring up a little bit of research that I came across when I was researching Gavin Lux. And it was interesting. It was a 2017 article I read on, on fan graphs, uh, by a writer. Let me pull up his name. Uh, his name is Brian Mangan. And, and it, the article was in the PCL, all the ground balls have eyes. And it was talking about how the Pacific Coast League is thought of as this great power league, and there is uh, there is a higher power number output in the PCL. But the real reason that the PCL is such a hitter's league is because BABIP is so much higher. It's as much as 50 points higher in the PCL than it is in the major leagues, and that's why run scoring is up so high in the PCL. I thought it was an interesting interesting counterpoint to everyone's uh, uh, assumptions about why the PCL is such a good hitters league. And I had never come across that. So a good article, January 31st, 2017 by Brian Mangan. 
uh, I think it was on Fangraphs. Um, really good article about why the PCL is such a hitter's league. That's a nice plug there for that article, their art. Yeah. Um, Shelly, any closing thoughts on this topic before we move on? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I was, I was putting together like my, my thoughts for all six of these guys and all six of these guys are very intriguing, but when I was doing my research, like Mitch Keller actually like really stood out to me, go get him, especially for this 60 game season. Like he's probably going to be the, the opening day starter for the Pirates He's really good. Do not look at his his few games last year. Like Mitch Keller is going to be really good, especially for this season. So, uh, yeah, Mitch Keller is like really good. Shelly's tying her name to Mitch Keller. She's putting it out there so everybody knows. I, she, lo- she loves some old Mitch Keller. And it feels <laughs> weird for me to be promoting Mitch Keller or Mackenzie Gore. I feel very dirty right now. <laughs> Yeah, you're cheating on uh, your number one minor league prospect. Yeah, I know. I just, oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move to our next part of the show. We're going to move into our question of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, it is seven inning stretch time. We invite you to join in singing, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Question this week, outside of the untouchable Cal Ripken consecutive games record, which is the record that you think will never be touched again all time? So, Shell, you're the guest. I'm going to start with you. What record did you pick? Uh, yeah, so I did the the all-time hit streak uh, by Joe DiMaggio, which was an all-time hit streak of 56 games. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I honestly, I don't think that that's going to be broken. I mean, in recent history, the closest ever gotten is Jimmy Rollins back in 2005. And that was like, I think like 45, 46, something like that. It was just like, I just, with the amount of the, the crazy pitching that we are seeing in the major leagues right now, which is just amazing. I just don't think that we will ever see anyone hit 57 straight in, in 57 straight games. That's a great pick. I think that is arguably definitely the number one outside of Cal's. Uh, Art, what about your pick? I The one that popped into my head most clearly is almost an unfair pick. Cy Young's 511 career victories. To me... Um, as soon as he retired, that was an unbreakable record. I think the next best is Walter Johnson at 416 and then Christy Mathewson at like 373. So he's, he's 95 ahead of second place. He's like four, five good seasons ahead of second place. Uh, and pitching is just so much different now uh, that, that uh, you know, even we might not ever see another 300 game winner. Um, so I think if, if, you know, it's an unfair, it's almost an unfair record to choose because the game is played so differently uh, now than it has been. And especially how it was when Cy Young pitched, but to me, 511 career victories, no one's ever going to come within, within a hundred of that. Eric, what's your pick? So for me, it's Ricky Henderson, all time stolen bases. 
He has 1,406. Lou Brock is in second with 938. That's a huge gap. There's more of an emphasis on home runs and hitting the ball for power. Average and on-base percentage is a little bit down. Last year, the stolen base leaders were Malik Smith and Whit Merrifield, Whit Merrifield with 46 and 45. And there hasn't been a 70 stolen base season since 2009 when Jacoby Ellsbury did that. So think about it. If you had 70 stolen, if you had a 70 stolen base year, you would need to do that for 20 years to just get in within range of it. So I don't think anybody's touching that. All great picks. Um, I was looking it up today, and there are so many records that you could choose from. Um, I want to do plug Oral Hershiser's 59 consecutive scoreless inning streak because that's our guy. Oral, shout out to you again for coming on. But uh, it, I, I do see that record getting taken down at some point. I could see a reliever. Uh, I forgot what Ryan Presley's was. I think it was in the 30s, if I'm not mistaken, um, before it was broke. I could see someone breaking the 59, um, so I can't pick that one. Pete Rose, his career hits definitely could be one, but I don't like to uh, pick a gambler. And then, <laughs> so then it leaves me with the other one I would pick, and that's Nolan Ryan's 57-14 career strikeouts, 5,714 Ks. And when you think about it, it's a huge ordeal for a pitcher to get 3,000 strikeouts. Like that mark is Max Scherzer is about to reach that mark this year, and Justin Verlander just passed that mark. So keep in mind they are literally just a little bit more than halfway to that mark. Like that that just shows you how dominant to have 5,700 strikeouts is. And as pitchers go less and less innings, and uh, you know they don't want to get seen more than uh, twice through the order. I don't see anybody even coming within a thousand of this, two thousand of this, you know, come a few more years down the road. So um, I think to me, Nolan Ryan's K's career K record is uh, what's going to stand all time. Honorable mention for Sam Young had, hitting 309 triples, because with the shift now, I don't think anybody would get close to that. <laughs> yeah, Did you just crazy. say 309 triples? Yep. Damn. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's not being broken anytime soon. <laughs> and then the controversial one, the 73 home runs in a season by Barry Bonds. Oh, now, <laughs> they'll, they'll be broken because they'll be cheating. The second rise of steroids. All right, well, let's move to our last segment of the week, and that's going to be the game. Eric, take it away. What's our game for this week? All right. Well, since we talked about prospects, I thought it would be fun. I have 10 players, and what I'm going to do – actually, I have nine players now that I look at it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a player. I want you to tell me the age that they made their major league debut and then how old they are now. And we're going to do it to similar to how we did last week. Um Who's ever closest, if they don't guess the exact age, will get the point. So we're going to start with David, then Shelly, then Art, and then rotate that order. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. David, you are guessing the age that Justin Upton made his debut and how old he is now. Good old Justy. Okay. Are 
Are you going to guess? Oh, 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 am I guessing right now? Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry. 24 debut, and he's 32 now. I thought we were, like, writing it down. Mm-hmm. Art? Or oh, Shelly. Shelly. Sorry. Shelly. Um, I'd say he was 20, so he made his debut in... 2007. Okay, and how old is he now? Uh, 32. Okay. She sounds very sure now. I'm, I think Art. I'm wrong. Art. <laughs> I, I'm going to say 20. He was he debuted at 21. And I think he's 34 now. All right, so he made his major league, major league debut when he was 19. And he's 32. So, Shelly, you get two points. David, you get one. And a big old goose egg for Arthur. I'm happy I got his age now, right? <laughs> All right. Number two, Shelly, we are starting with you. Nelson Cruz. Oh, boy. Um, he was 24 when he made his debut. And that was back in 2006. Oh. And then are we doing now? Is it for for Shelly? How old is he now? Oh, how old is he now? He's probably 38. All right, Art. That both sounds right. I'm going to go 25, 39. <laughs> okay, and David. I'm a Twins fan, so I should know this. I, I know he's either 38 or 39 right now. I know that for a fact. I think I think he's 38. And when he made his debut, I think he was 20. Art said 25. Shelly said 22. Yeah, Shelly said 24. Or 24. I can't do 24 and a half, can I? <laughs> nope. uh, I'll say 23. All right. He made his debut at 24, and he is 39 right now. So Art and oh. Shelly each get a point. God. <laughs> Shelly killing it. <laughs> All right. Number three, Roberto Osuna. What age did he make his debut and how old is he now? Art begins with you. Um, okay. So I don't know anything about Roberto Osuna's background. And I'm going to have you check his birth certificate if he's from <laughs> the Dominican Republic. But I'm not I sure. thought about doing Miguel Tejada, but that'd be too tricky. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm going to say he made his debut at 23, and he is currently 29. All right, David? 22, and he's 31. And Shelly? Um, I'd say he was uh, 20 when he made his debut, and he's probably about 28 right now. All right, so he made his debut at 20, and he's 25. So two hey. points. Two points go to Shelly that round. She is just smoking, y'all. I think Shelly. I think Shelly uh, cheated. She looked at the answers before. <laughs> That's, I'm just kidding. All right. Next one, David. We're beginning with you, Ichiro, and when he made his MLB debut. And how old he is now, or how old when he retired? How old he is now? Okay. Like oh, so okay. Uh, I'm gonna his major league baseball debut. You said yes. I think he was. 
I know he was over 30, I think. I think he was like 31. And I, I want to say he's like 45 now. All right, Shelly. Um, I'd say 30 and he's 43 right now. And Art. He's, he was 29 when he made his debut. And he's like 48 or 49. I'm going to say 48. All right, so he made his debut at 27, and he's 46 years old. So Art and David get a point. Yes, yes. As the comeback starts now. (laughs) Shelly, a a rare non-point round for you. Yeah. All right. We're we're halfway pretty much, so what's the score update? All right, Shelly has five, and Art and David, you both have two. Okay, We're, we're in this. We're still in this, Art. We can win. Yeah, we're in this. All right. The next one, Zach Granke. Shelly, we're beginning with you. Um, he made his debut when he was uh, 21, and he is 34 right now. All right. And Art? Um, I'm going to say 23 and 35. And David? I'm going to say 22, and I'm going to say 35. All right, he made his debut at 20, and he's currently 36. So you guys all get a point for that round. Okay, okay. All right. Nice. All right, next one, Art, we're going to begin with you, mm-hmm. and it is Liam Hendricks. Uh Okay, Liam Hendricks was 26 when he made his debut, is my guess. He was older, and he is 31 now. And David? You took him a 31, I was going to say. I think he was 27, and I'll say he's 32. And Shelly? Um, I'd say 24 and 30. All right, well, he made his debut at 22, and he is 31 so Shelly and Art both get a point. David, stick with your gut next time. I should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one. We got three left, and we will begin with David. Tommy Pham. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's tough. Oh, I do know that he got was delayed in the minors and was angry about that. Oh, somebody I, knows Tommy Pham. But how I, well? I, I think. These two numbers just flashed at me just now. Like they literally just flashed me. Twenty-eight and thirty-six. All right, Shelly. Um, I'd say twenty-seven and thirty-five. And Art. I'm just gonna price is right, you guys. <laughs> say twenty-six and thirty-four. <laughs> All right. Well, Art, the price is right strategy worked. Yeah. Made his debut at twenty-six, and he is thirty-two. Oh man. <laughs> Are making a little bit of a comeback, and David dead and last. <laughs> <laughs> who's, the, right. who's, who's the gym leader now? <laughs> no, you want to be the elite. You want to be the elite four. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> David, David's Pidgey. <laughs> all right, the next one. Shelly, we're beginning with you. Good old Fernando Rodney. Oh, boy. Um, He made his debut when he was... I don't know, 
27, and he's 43 right now. Okay. Art? I'm going to say 20, 25 and 41. And the last place man, David. Well, see, I was going to say 27 and 41, but those two numbers were taken, so I have to, I have to give myself a chance to win. So I'm going to say, I know Shelly said he was 43, so I'll say he's 44, and then I'll say he was 25 when he made his debut. So he was 25 when he made his debut, yes! and he's 43 now, so everybody gets a point. Oh, my God. Points for everyone! <laughs> <laughs> and the last one. To end it all, Yadier Molina, Art, we we're bet, starting with can, you. Can we bet all our points? <laughs> no, this is this is another desperation attempt by the host. <laughs> uh, Yadier Molina. Okay. I think Yadier's been with the Cardinals for a while. I'm going to say he was like 21 when he started, and he's 37 now. All right. And we are going to go to last place Mendelssohn. Who? <laughs> <laughs> Twenty-three and thirty-eight. And Shelley. Um, I'd say twenty-two and thirty-five. Art got it on the nose both. Twenty-one and thirty-seven. So let me calculate your totals. All right, well, David, it's easy. You got four. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> I'm an embarrassment. Shelly, Shelly beat you after three rounds. <laughs> Shelly's got eight, and Art's got nine. Nice. Oh, yeah. Art with the dagger at the end. He got the two, man. He felt the pressure. When, when he said that, I was like, "Wow, he might have just won the game." Now you know what I happened. You know what happened? I'm sure Art sent Eric a text and said, yo, just give me the last answer. I got to win. And he's just like, bribed him. I did bribe him. All the money <laughs> we've made off our podcast to Eric. <laughs> you guys are both the real winners because David came in last again. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Shelly, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really enjoyed having you on. Yeah, yeah we, thank you. Yeah, it was Sorry. great fun. Thank you, guys. If you want to follow Shelly, she's at ShellyV underscore 643 on Twitter, where you can see all her great baseball content she posts and, of course, pictures of her adorable dog. Thanks again, Shelly. Thanks again, guys. It was very fun.